0: Folks, welcome back to Mayhem in the Mid-South, Episode 10, Bloody Lester Street, Part 2. So now you've got the notifications going out from communications. Everyone in the command staff and obviously one of the first calls is supervisor of the homicide bureau now the lieutenant they call is Tony Armstrong and Tony of course later becomes the director of the Memphis Police Department so he gets a call they tell him what's going on so then he calls Ricky Davidson. And Ricky's the other lieutenant in homicide at the time. And he tells Ricky go out there and start getting that scene together. Call out whoever you need. Now, he would have started out calling everybody on his team. Whose own call they need more people, of course, they'll start yanking them from the other section. There's two sections in homicide. Now, Tony, Lieutenant Armstrong, he tells Ricky Davison, tells him there's six people that are apparently dead, and they got three that's injured, and they're all children. They're on their way to the hospital, and they're not expected to make it. Now, uh, Tony's on the phone with Ricky Davis, and I guess I'll use their titles, so it won't confuse y'all. Lieutenant Armstrong's talking with Lieutenant Davison on the phone, they decide what they're going to do is, is the three children that are still alive, they're going to isolate them, quarantine them from anybody else outside of medical personnel and the police. And they're not going to release their identities to anyone. So then they call the TAC unit and they tell them to send officers down there and guard the kids' rooms. Now, I don't know how this for other departments, but... Memphis uh, homicide investigators are pretty high on the food chains. So usually when they request something, they get it. Now... One of the investigators that makes the scene out there on Lester Street is Tony Mullins. Tony and I worked South Precinct Uniform Patrol for years. We were in homicide together for a little while before I tucked my tail and went back to robbery. Anyway, so they were kind of letting Tony Run stuff I mean Ricky Davis and the lieutenant's there, but what you do is as a lieutenant is you pick out whoever's going to be the case investigator and then you let him do his job and the only thing Tony's got to do is, is just let Ricky know Lieutenant Davis and let him know what hey I'm getting ready to do this this and this. Now, obviously, Lieutenant Armstrong, he makes the scene. Lieutenant Davison's there. So they do a walkthrough of the house to get an overview of the crime scene. And then they send Tony, Sergeant Mullins, they send him back downtown to type up a search warrant, because they've got to have a search warrant. For the house now they've secured the house which they can legally do and they can go through the house and make a protective sweep looking for victims or suspects but now once they've got the scene under control they got to get a search warrant because if you don't have a search warrant you've got to have written permission from the owners of the house And obviously, in this case here, they only people who are alive, or not of age, or in shape to have given that consent. So Tony, he comes back after he gets the warrant signed, because once he ties up that warrant, now he's got to go out and he's got to find a judge to sign it. So you got to start calling judges at home. There's usually a list of the judges that'll, that'll let you know, hey, if you need a warrant signed, you, you come on over here and I'll do it. So anyways, he gets back with the warrant, so now they can start collecting evidence inside the house. Now, they bring the M.E. out, and he brings a whole parcel of people with... with him. Now, at 2.30 in the morning on March the 4th, they've removed all the bodies to the morgue. Because during that time, the while well, homicide investigators are collecting evidence, and I'm pretty sure they probably shot an entry video or a scene video took pictures had crime scene take pictures well the M.E. and his people they're doing photos they're doing measurements they're looking at all kinds of stuff too so everybody clears the scene around that 2.30 mark in the morning and they put uniform patrol on the house to se- keep the scene secure. So they can start back the next morning. So Tony Mullins, he goes back from investigators and crime scene people. And they keep on a- working they started about 10:30 or 11. Now, folks, I'm telling you, I've been on some homicide scenes where literally, each time we go back to the scene, we would find something we didn't see the first time. Now, later on when Sergeant Mullins testifies at trial. He described that scene as the, probably the worst he'd ever worked or seen. Now that's saying a lot, because at the time this happened, Tony's got a bunch of years on the job. Now the living room area is pretty cramped because they've got a lot of furniture stuck in that living room. And the bodies are all The original four bodies in the living room are right there together. Now, Tony would say later, from what he saw the crime scene, it looked like it had been staged. Somebody had staged that crime scene to make it look like something it wasn't. People don't realize how difficult that is to stage a scene in such a way that the police won't notice there's something wrong. Because we're not too smart, but we're not dumb enough to buy the things that people do on scenes to try to disguise who they are, what the motive was for the killing. Now, Sergeant Mullins would say, as would others who were on the scene and would become official in the court records, that all the adult victims had sustained multiple gunshot wounds. also come to the conclusion that two guns were used in the shooting, a 9mm and a 380 caliber, but they can't locate either gun on the scene. Now, the officers did locate and recover spent bullets in the living room on the sofa cushion, on top of a piece of plastic from my window unit air conditioner. On the floor, underneath Cecil's body, under the sofa, inside the arm of the sofa, between two sofa seat cushions, in the wall behind the sofa, and in the east wall of the living room. Now the casings, they recovered them also in the living room. They recovered two nine millimeter and three 380 caliber shell casings on the floor. Now while they're moving items around, there's a jacket on the love seat. They picked that jacket up and they found the a, zip, a ziploc bag. Now in that ziplock bag, it had 11 9mm casings and 5 380 casings, spent-shell casings. Now Tony Mullins, being the sharp investigator that he is, it don't take him but just a second or two to figure out that persons that did this shooting were collecting those shell casings their obvious intent being they're going to remove them from the scene so somebody took the time to start picking stuff up and this is after the fact that Tony's already concluded that this this crime scene has been staged so this is just something else Now, Tony's also saying Sergeant Mullins that part of this staging were the adult victims themselves that they had physically been moved about the living room now he said Cecil's body was found to be in a kneeling position in front of the sofa and that his torso was on the sofa cushion and there was a bag of marijuana in his left hand. Now Cecil had received several gunshot wounds, including several to the front of the body, one to his neck, one to the bottom of his foot, and several to his lower legs. Now they collected fibers from Cecil's chin and mouth, and they were consistent with a pillow having been placed over his face when he was shot. Now the police found the pillow in the living room and saw that a bullet had been fired through the pillow. They also have discovered in this investigation that the gun used to shoot seesaw in the legs ...was a different gun than the one used to shoot him in the neck. Now, of course, Sergeant Mullins... ...he doesn't know the sequence of the gunshot wounds to Cecil's legs. But just from what he's seen through his experience and training, he's thinking that several of those in the leg... Were fired close to or after Cecil's death. Now, part of that comes from the fact that if somebody's dead. You shoot them. You're not gonna. You're not gonna see blood spray or a lot of bleeding because the body's dead. The heart's not beating anymore. So Sergeant Mullen's saying that whoever shot and killed Cecil, he then took the time to reposition Cecil's body. Because from the gunshot wounds, Sergeant Mullins is saying that Cecil was facing his attacker when the first shot was fired. And that comes from the fact that Cecil's got gunshot wounds, entry wounds to the front of his body. And that those gunshot wounds, they would not have... They would not have been where they were, the positioning of them, if Cecil... Had been down on his knees in the floor and laying across the sofa, obviously. Now, Tony's also sharp enough. He mentions the bag of marijuana and he says that, that bag was large enough that. if Cecil had been holding that bag of marijuana when he was shot, it would have dropped out of his hand. Now he doesn't believe that that bag would have remained in his hand and him to have been shot that many times. Now police recovered a loaded 12-gauge sawed-off shotgun. They found it on a stack of clothing in the corner of the living room. And it was a little more than an arm length away from Cecil's body. also recovered five more live rounds of shotgun ammunition under the sofa. Now, DNA testing of blood found on the end of the shotgun barrel showed that the DNA was a match to Sinya. the two-month-old that some of her blood was in that blood now obviously what that tells you is is that where her body was found in the house was not where the body was originally. At some point, that little two month old was around that shotgun and the shotgun's in the living room. So it tells you the body or the shotgun got moved. Now, according to the crime scene Sergeant Mullins is saying that the blood on the shotgun barrel is indicative of it having lain on top of the clothing after the shooting that that's where it was positioned after the shooting he says they found no blood spatter on any of the clothing beneath the gun and that the blood on the gun belonged to the victim whose body was found in another part of the house which is what I was just talking about.